UX Podcast Episode 82. Hi and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axpool. And we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. Today, we're going to be talking to Heather Burns. Mm-hmm. About the Consumer Rights Directive? Yeah, Consumer Rights Directive. Mm-hmm. This is um, a new EU-wide um, law um, affecting your mm-hmm. consumer rights when buying online. Actually, it does more than that as well, but we're going to focus on the online part of this. Yeah, so yet another thing to keep track of. In yeah. the UX world. And um, Heather has, um, has um, recently, or in May, she released a book um, about this directive um, called The Web Designer's Guide to the Consumer Rights Directive. Mm-hmm. Trying to explain um, to us web people and UX people what we need to think about, what we need to do to comply with this um, directive. And it's, yeah. um, well, it's, it's local imp- um, implementations, and um, Heather Heather Burns. She's um, she's a web designer or website designer um, consultant based in Glasgow, Scotland. Right. Which, well, by the time you listen to this, may or may not be part of the of the UK. Right. <laughs> Interesting in itself. Yeah. <laughs> so let's call her up. Let's call her. Hello, Heather. Good morning. Thank, Good morning. And thank you for joining us. No, no problem. It's my pleasure. Um, well, a few weeks ago, um, we saw your um, interview uh, yes. with, with Harry, uh, Harry um, Brignall on um, 90% of Everything. Uh, yes. Which was um, a really good interview. And to be honest, it was, it, it was a bit of an eye-opener for me because I've actually not heard a huge amount about the um, Consumer Rights Directive and its implementation, um, mm-hmm. at least not from a Swedish perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it surprised me, actually, the impact uh, it looked like it had from the interview. You know, the, the interview was incredible. Um, in a matter of hours, I was getting thousands of hits. I think Harry had over 100,000 visits to that article. Mm, wow. Yeah. So... What it told us is just what you said. People don't know about this, even Mm. though it is a European-wide law. Mm. Um, We speculated for a few of the reasons about that. Um, I can only speak from the perspective of the UK. I'm in Scotland. Mm. Um, Don't even go into whether Scotland will still be in the UK next week. Let's not (laughs) even go there. Um, But from my perspective, there's two reasons. Number one, I think it's because it's the EU and it's almost as if people hear EU and they tune out. It's like, oh, that stuff again. Hmm. And the other reason, I think, is because of the cookie law. Um, hmm. Most of my research for the past two and a half years has focused on the implementation, implementation of the cookie law across Europe. Hmm. And it was such a disaster from start to finish that I think what's happening there is the oh, it's the cookie law again, and they ignore it. Hmm. This consumer rights directive, it's actually a really good law done for mm. the right reasons. Mm. So that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 was, I did a bit of writing and a bit of research to do the cookie law in Sweden, um, and I mm-hmm. followed that quite actively 
here. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. There was a lot of lot of confusion about it, and no real clear direction. And uh, I think there was, yeah, I think mm. people did get a bit tired of it. And we're still getting mm. it's, it's still getting brought up and talked about and implemented now. Yeah. So that, that could be. Um, but I, I say I searched <laughs> for a bit for the Swedish implementation. I know that there was, there was the ch- the laws were changed. I think at the beginning of the year. But I, have, I found very little from a e-business point of view that and and online sales that says exactly what's happened. Mm. You know, a fellow contacted me asking me to help him crowdsource all of the national implementations. Mm. And I think we only managed to come up with half. All right. Ah, okay. So obviously there's no way that you or I can know the government structures of every single country in Europe, much less read the language, so that we could know where that document is located in the local language. Mm. So that's something that perhaps your listeners could help out with. Mm. Exactly. So just uh, start us off by by giving a few examples of, of the type of dark patterns that are illegal nowadays. So mm-hmm. People know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll back up a second and talk about the law more in general, Perfect. why it's been implemented. There's yeah. basically mm-hmm. three reasons that the law has been implemented, and the dark patterns is just one of them. The first reason the law was implemented was to unify e-commerce not just e-commerce, but trading laws across all of Europe. With this law, as of the 13th of June, all of Europe is trading under the same conditions. So if I buy something here in Scotland and I don't like it and I want to return it, it's the exact same rules as if I had bought something in Greece or Sweden. Mm -hmm. The idea behind that was to encourage more cross-border sales so that you in Sweden start buying more things online from Spain or whatever. So that was the first reason. The second reason was to update and modernize trading laws. Not every country was in this boat. Some European countries have been really quite good with keeping things updated. Here in the UK, on the other hand, the e-commerce law hadn't been updated since 1997. Yeah, I read that. That was actually, that really surprised me. That's where the last update was, was basically at the dawn of the internet as far as, uh, you know. You know, the last e-commerce. The last e-commerce law was basically when e-commerce meant buying a holiday off teletext. Yeah. It's really unbelievable, but in the UK, digital products were not mentioned in e-commerce or even trading law until the 13th of June, mm. which meant there were no legal protections for consumers. Mm. So some of the countries in Europe desperately needed these laughably outdated laws to be brought up to date. The third purpose of the Consumer Rights Directive and the reason we're speaking today was to address some of these dark patterns and these problems and these niggles that have arisen just through lazy and deceptive e-commerce practice. And that's where we get to the dark patterns bit. I'm just going to say about dark patterns. A lot of listeners will understand exactly what that means, but mm-hmm. um, but the, the non-UX listeners will, um, will maybe not know so much. Um, so what we mean by dark patterns are these kind of just sneaky behavior on the website, I guess, which kind of tricks you into doing something that maybe you weren't aware you were doing. Yes, it's basically mm. anything that has been deliberately done in a way to deceive. Mm. Exactly. Or, yes, so it's right. persuasion, but with an evil intention. <laughs> if, yeah. it makes you, if it makes you sit there at your mm. laptop thinking, oh, that's mm. horrible, yeah. that's that's the sort of thing it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, there's, um, so there is actually then probably a fine line between something that is a dark pattern and something that is then perhaps a great, great pattern where you are trying to help people to do something and you perhaps do it in a way that is using a psychological technique that enhances their experience of wanting it 
wanting to do that. And That's I, correct. Yeah. Mm. Um, dark patterns are to get you to spend more money, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't know you were spending it, which turns out to be part of the problem and one of the reasons why this law had to be enacted. Right. And even, I mean, some dark patterns that are described is uh, when you sign up for something and it turns out that the first month is free and you thought it was free, but then you get uh, a subscription fee every month after that and you didn't realize that. Uh, I mean, that thing has been, of course, something that's been (laughs) implemented offline and before the internet as well. Mm -hmm. So the dark patterns are just being, some of them are just being transferred online, but without Um, without any consumer uh, protection. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Absolutely. And that's something that the web design and development communities, um, we really suffer from. Just yesterday, I was looking at a plugin that I was thinking of buying that could save me a day's work. And the fee is 20 pounds. And in small print, it says per year. Now, oh, yeah. I don't yeah. want to pay for the plugin every year. I want to pay 20 pounds now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at least it says per year. I'm sure we've all encountered plug-in sites or themes or whatever that say 20 pound, and then you find out in the small print, you've joined plug-in club. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's often quite a shock. I, I would encourage everybody to go into their PayPal account and look up what reoccurring subscriptions are in there. I guarantee you there's things you forgot about that you didn't even know about. That's a very good tip. Yeah, no, I've, I've had that with, um, suddenly you'll get an email from, from something, and it'll say, your card data have expired. Mm. Uh, exactly. Okay. They've expired. Okay. Why is that a problem for you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because your payments bounced of something I didn't realize that I was subscribing to. Yeah. So one of the the rules under the consumer rights directive is just taking this one example. If you are committing to something that's going to involve ongoing or reoccurring payments, the website, not just the website, this is this applies to offline as well, has to be crystal clear about what you're joining how much you're going to pay per billing period, whether that's a month or a year or whatever, how long you have to be, how how long you have to commit before you're eligible to get out and what the rules and instructions are for withdrawing. Mm. That all has to be crystal clear. Mm. If any of that information is not provided under the consumer rights directive, the transaction is valid. Mm. Invalid, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, Mm. you're no longer bound to it. And this means that you can't just hide this in a, in a huge amount of terms and conditions or, or legalese. It's got to be presented in a in a easily understandable way. Or with with the consumer rights directive, everything has to be made crystal clear for mm. you mm. before you reach the checkout, mm. and then everything you've agreed to has to be in the order confirmation. In other words, the receipt, the email whatever, that you receive after the transaction. So right. it's all got to be upfront, crystal clear, in writing for you to keep and to act on. And then you have the right to, to um, change your mind, I guess, mm-hmm. even at that point. Um, there's a tremendous amount in the directive dealing with returns, um, cancellations, um, there's a very specific language that's required. We won't go into that because we would put all your readers to sleep. <laughs> but, um, yeah, everything has to be really clear and standardized. Mm. And if you don't provide that information, again, the consumer can say this transaction isn't valid because you didn't inform me of my rights. 
Right. Yeah. That, just that with the return, the right to return, and I think it's two mm-hmm. weeks. That was where I did find some information about here in Sweden. It seemed like that's where all the focus was in, in writing about it, was that mm. you know, now it's kind of standardized for two weeks, so you've got the right mm-hmm. to return things. Um, okay. And, and also I mean, bearing the cost. Who bears the cost of returning? In any shop, if that's or a Swedish law. It's, I mean, you have up a shop, which means basically you're always open to return it within two weeks, yeah. wherever you buy it, mm. anything. Mm. The way it's mm-hmm. been implemented in the UK, which I think might be the whole implementation, is if you don't advise consumers of their two-week return rights, mm. the return period is extended to 364 days. Oh. Ooh, I think I've actually heard about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the burden of proof will be on you, I guess, to, to, to mm-hmm. say that you, didn't, you weren't informed. Yes. Mm. God, I'm going to start – we'd have to start taking screenshots – of every <laughs> kind of checkout page before you check out, so oh, you can exactly. keep them, just in case you miss something. Mm. Um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say people would have to go as far as that, but if yeah. you have a reason, maybe not to trust the retailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and all of that stuff again is supposed to be in the email confirmation you get right. your, your purchase your purchase receipt that we all get by email after we've bought anything. Okay, yeah, so, so in, in many situations, you, just checking back at that email will be mm-hmm. enough to, to confirm whether you've been informed of something or not without having to you know, go through archive.org to look at all versions of web pages to see Absolutely. whether they said mm-hmm. yeah. oh, that's, that's quite good, yeah. So I'm guessing now that, I mean, it's obvious that a lot of online stores are not following this law. So how mm-hmm. do we get them to do that? How do we even get them to be aware of that they are breaking the law because most of them probably are not since, <laughs> since you got all those hits and all those I questions. Yeah. Um, I would never encourage people to be passive aggressive and just, you know, file a claim against them through trading standards, communicate with the company, you know, get in touch with them and say, you know, are you aware that, you know, under the new e-commerce trading law, you're doing something wrong on your site. Um, mm. If they're, if they're a legitimate retailer, they're going to want to hear what you have to say. I was, I've been kind of amused to see representatives of major companies buying copies of my book. Oh, nice. Yeah, that must be pleasing. It makes me feel very good about that. Mm. Um, and I've also been very heartened to see, I just saw one, um, company I deal with, which was pretty bad for those dark patterns, has removed them all. Oh, that's a success. They are model compliance right now and not before time. So compliance is easy. Um, with the cookie law, it was all about making ridiculous back-end changes. Everything with the Consumer Rights Directive is on the front end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is no skin off of any retailer's back to remove pre-ticked items from the shopping cart. Um, and if you're going to continue to defend that practice, there's a bigger problem there. But compliance is its really easy. It's really good common sense. And, yeah, it is the law. Mm. I think comparing with the cookie law again, there the, one mm-hmm. of the big problems there was that the, the implementation across the countries varied hugely, um, and from from completely ambiguous and you had no idea really what the country had done, to mm-hmm. to requiring full implicit um, opt-in um, beforehand. Whereas, Absolutely. Whereas this sounds like it is more harmonised and, like you say, um, front-end. Um, which should make implementation more straightforward. Yeah. Again, speaking from the UK, if you're filing a cookie law complaint, you go through the national data protection bureaucracy. Yeah, same so in Sweden. you've got to make it a national case. Mm. 
If you have bought something on a website that you feel you were deceived in the ordering process because the website wasn't compliant with the consumer rights directive, you complain to your local trading standards office, which is in the UK done through your local council. Mm. So for me, it's literally making a call to a building down the street. Mm. So mm. I've, obviously every country in Europe for all your listeners is going to be different, but the consumer rights directive is enforceable on a local level. Mm. So, so even though this is, this is theoretically straightforward for um, companies to implement, for, mm-hmm. for many of them, this is going to, this is going to change their business model. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the example, um, one thing that irritates me about buying online quite often here, especially from the smaller um, web shops, is mm-hmm. they have this um, administration fee. Like you see all the prices on the, on, you know, when you're looking around and browsing, you add it to your basket. You even manage to find out maybe shipping charge. It'll say mm-hmm. free mm-hmm. shipping. So there'll be good prices, free shipping. And then you add it to the basket, you go to checkout, and just before you do the final buy, it does actually have, add an administration fee. Mm-hmm. Let's go through that. Um, one of the requirements in the consumer rights directive is that all charges, fees, whatnot have to be stated up front in advance. And it also has to be very clear on what they are. Mm. Um, if it's an administrative fee and they are quite honestly saying that's administrative fee, that is probably actually good compliance. Mm. Um, The problems come when, for example, here in Scotland, it's a big problem that people who live way out in the highlands and islands will order an item online and they'll be told that the shipping is is whatnot and they'll place the order and then they get a call from the retailer the next day saying, oh, we have to charge you an extra 50 pounds because Mm. you live on an island. Mm. Now, if there's going to be additional surcharges, that has to be advised in advance. Mm it may all, may not be possible to say exactly what the shipping surcharge is going to be. You don't know how much it's mm. going to cost to ship a box to an island, but you have to advise the customer that there will be extra fees. And if you can, give a rough estimate of where those fees might lie. To go back to your example of the administration fee, another requirement of the directive, um, and this is part of another consumer law, is that the fees have to be honest. Mm. The administrative administration fee has to be what it actually costs right. for them to administer this. Mm. It can't just be a random number. <laughs> and the reason this exists was because of a certain airline, which we won't name, <laughs> which I, th- I think we can all remember that. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, th- I think we don't really need to name it. <laughs> you know, fly, fly. To Stockholm for two pound fifty. Yeah, oh God! Look, you've got it on your screen it's, now, Pat. It's actually yes. Yeah. <laughs> in, little... in some article I read recently. Yeah, it was in an interview that someone yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> with with the little asterisk that says what fifty pound credit card processing fee. So your fees have to be honest. You cannot um, throw a forty seven pound credit card processing fee if it only costs you, in truth, one pound to process it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So everything has to be transparent, honest, and in the open mm. before you mm. check out and pay. Mm. So, so, going, so going back to my example of the, of mm-hmm. the um, you know, free shipping and then an administration fee, because um, mm-hmm. it often is the case that the, the, the websites that charge shipping, they don't have an mm-hmm. administration fee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that really still compliant, that you've, you've basically say that shipping's free, but every single order has a shipping charge, well, an administration charge that you know, at least covers their shipping, it would seem. Well, 
Well, the only way to find out would be to challenge the company and ask them, how much in truth does it cost you to process this order? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is your administration fee reflective of that? Mm, right. Because what usually happens in my case, I, I usually price comparison site and I mm-hmm. – let's say I'm, I'm buying a microphone because I buy a lot of microphones. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I find the cheaper one on one site and then it adds the administration fee. But then the more expensive site doesn't add it. Let's, let's say it's a 10-pound administration fee. Mm-hmm. Then in essence, the one that has the more expensive price is the one that's cheaper for me to go to. And that mm-hmm. makes it hard for me to accept that it is actually compliant mm-hmm. to do to add that fee later on. It should The price – should be comparable across sites. That's what I'm really after. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So, you know, you should be able to jar to judge just based on markup mm. and not fees. Because that's another thing you mentioned. You have the example of in the interview about Next, and uh, you're saying there that uh, the pattern that they're using, they have a lot of information text, uh, and I don't even know what they're doing there, but you're saying mm-hmm. they're just stretching the law to its limits and as with anything, just because it's legal doesn't make it right. So yeah. how, how far has actually the directive come and how much further do we have to actually get uh, get to grasp with more of these dark patterns? Mm-hmm. That will only come when consumers start acting on it. Mm-hmm. You know, Consumers haven't been interested in acting on the cookie law. Um, they are interested when something costs them money. Or they find out that they've been in a plug-in club for four years that they didn't even know about. Yeah. With the directive, um, and certainly in the UK, the other consumer rights laws in the package that it came with, the consumers have those rights now. These laws have teeth. They were a bit powerless. But the hope is that people start standing up for themselves against these companies when they feel that they've been wrong wronged because they now have the backing to do so. Mm. So I would encourage people, if you feel you've been genuinely wronged or deceived, not because you're annoyed with a little bit of UX, but if something has cost you money, by all means, get in touch with the company, complain to your local trading standards, you know, make it right for other people so they don't get caught in the same way that you did. And at the same time, I'm realizing that Perhaps a few people will do that. They'll just go, I'll never shop there again, and I'll choose another site. Because it's so easy mm-hmm. nowadays to actually change who you're buying from. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and if to cite that airline we spoke about, you know, I, I haven't flown with them in years because I just got sick of all the tricks. Yeah. If, if that is what your company's reputation is, you know, I think you have a bigger problem than consumer rights compliance, exactly, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Yeah. So, yeah, just just be nice to people. It's not hard work. Mm. <laughs> no, it really shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I um thinking again about well, we, the listeners to this show. The, it's an international show, so we we have yes. listeners all over the world. But um, the the big the big groups of listeners are are in North America, UK, mm-hmm. Sweden, and Germany. Mm-hmm. Um. This isn't. This is again different to the cookie law in that it's not. It's not the um, the country that you are in as the as the visitor of the website. It's the country mm-hmm. of the company selling, isn't it? That where it's the law originates. Yes, it's a it's an EU law only. Mm. So if you are in Sweden buying from America, that American website doesn't have to comply. Yeah. Um, it would be nice if American <laughs> websites removed dodgy dark patterns, but we can only live in hope. 
Um, mm. But it is, again, it's one law for all of Europe. So in theory, you know, that shouldn't be much of an issue because we're all supposed to be doing the exact same things. Yes. Yeah. So, so whenever we're buying now something inside the EU, well, so mm-hmm. we're, we're buying something from another EU country or our own country, mm-hmm. then it should be a level playing field. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of why the EU was founded in the first place. You know, this is we're, we're actually <laughs> yeah. achieving that that common market here. Exactly. This right. is actually a, a good mm-hmm. common market principle um, that's mm-hmm. been got through. Um, and um, and again, back to the whole surprise thing. It's it maybe it's just us. Well, no, it can't be just us because of what Heather said about the, the reaction to the interview. That there, this this not being the the coverage of of, of right. this um, that we expected. I mean. I, I wrote a book, obviously, and I tried yeah. to sell it based on the sort of web design and e-commerce perspective, mm. and it was really dead slow. And then Harry came along framing it as a UX issue, and it went through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That is really good. So when did you actually publish the book? I published it um, a month before the law went into effect, which was May. May time, yeah. Because it was um, it was the experiences I learned from dealing with the cookie law, which sadly were repeated here with the consumer rights law that, you know, this law goes into effect and it's 80 pages written by lawyers. Mm-hmm. And it's not written from a web design perspective. So what I did was I just broke it down into little chunks and explained it in plain English in terms of what do you actually have to do on your website? Yeah. So that's the way I like to learn. I don't know about anybody else, but I feel so much better knowing how does this actually affect me rather than thinking I have to go get a law degree to understand what I have to do with my website here. Well, quite, yeah. I mean, it's the same with most things that we want. We want practical, mm-hmm. well-communicated instructions mm-hmm. um, rather than legalese. Um, mm-hmm. the, the legalese is for, is for for other lawyers and legal people to, to fight their little battles about. Um, Absolutely. You, you do need someone to translate that down to something manageable um, and, and, and impl- well, that you can implement. Yeah. Absolutely. That's UX in itself. Exactly. Ooh, I like that. Mm. <laughs> Shall we go over what the law requires? I think that's very a good idea. quickly. Yeah, very I think quickly. That's a really good idea. Yes. Um, there is a lot to this law, um, and the UX is, is not all of it. I would say UX is half of it. The other half is, as we've discussed, clear information. Mm. So, in terms of information, you have to be clear about who you are. You have to disclose your identity, your physical location, your phone number, your email address. Again, that's not difficult, but I think we've all seen websites that don't don't disclose that information. Mm, yeah. You don't know who you're buying from or where. Um, you have to see accurate description of the goods or service. Again, that's obvious. You need to see the total price inclusive of all those taxes and fees, any additional charges, any surcharges, any restrictions. You need to discuss the accepted means of payment before you get to the checkout. Um, you have to explain how any goods or services will be delivered, and you have to explain how long it will take you as the seller to deliver the goods. And again, that's just that's just common sense. It is, <laughs> you know. That's what I like ha- about this. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's UX, and it's actually a law promoting UX. <laughs> yes. 
We're, if, we're, it's it's sad that it has to <laughs> come that way, but it's fun that it does. Yeah, I know. I know. You always get people saying, "Oh, why is the EU making a law telling us what to do?" Mm-hmm. You know, it's because people aren't saying who they are. Mm. You know, um, if the product or service you're selling is a subscription, a reoccurring payment, as we've already discussed, that has to be absolutely clear up front. You have to say that it's a clear, it's a recurring payment. You have to say how much. You have to give instructions on how to cancel. People shouldn't have to go into PayPal and cancel the reoccurring subscription because you had no intention of telling them how to cancel membership in Plugin Club. Hmm. The law requires very clear language on your checkout buttons. Um, you've, we've all seen checkout buttons that say things like go hmm. or continue. Yeah. That's actually now illegal. The checkout button has to be crystal clear that you are about to take money from your customer. Right, yeah. Now we're talking about the, the actual click you make to yes. charge your card mm-hmm. or to commit you to a contract. I guess. Yes. So well, that's really interesting say, because we've talked before yeah, about we've talked before about button text and we talked mm-hmm. about whimsical language and mm-hmm. because that's user experience as well and having a, a tonality that's fun and quirky and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and web designers seem to like that nowadays. Mm. But mm-hmm. it's really interesting what you're saying now is no, you can't do that. Not not when mm-hmm. you're getting to the point of entering the contract. Exactly. Um, then it needs to be mm-hmm. clear because as I understand the, it. Yeah. And the law is very specific here that the wording on your checkout buttons aside from anything else, can cancel the order. Mm. So if you have um, a membership site and the person clicked on register, mm. they can they can say, well, I didn't know that clicking on register meant that I was committing to a year of payments. Mm. So your buttons need to say something like finish and pay, pay now, purchase items, check out and pay, just something that makes it clear that there is actually money that is going to be handed over right here. Yeah, and something I like there. I've seen you see some websites. Um, they they use um, text below buttons to to reassure you that it's not yet that point where we take money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say, "Don't worry, you can. Yeah, you know, we're not gonna, we're not going to charge you yet, or don't worry, you can go. You can still change your mind." It kind of comes underneath mm-hmm. the continue button. Yeah, I like that's- that. To me, that's a bit like when marketers call and say, don't worry, we're not selling you anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you've said that is kind of a hint that you are. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It could be interpreted like that by some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with the Consumer Rights Directive, we actually have um, clear e-commerce laws concerning digital downloads and digital products for the first time. If you're selling a digital download, you have to be clear and provide information about any regional encoding, any DRM, any technical restrictions, um, any hardware or software requirements, such as the minimum OS required. Um, if you've ever, you know, bought, um, I, I use the example in the book that I bought um, an ebook off iTunes and I couldn't put it on my daughter's MP3 player because it was in the iTunes format. And she doesn't have an eye gadget. So mm-hmm. you have to be very clear about any constraints on your digital download file. You also have to set up a process that will allow people to cancel a digital order because people have the right to change their mind about a digital product or service. Mm. Um, I'm not going to get into that here because we would be here for another hour, but there's 
uh, really quite complicated and tricky wording you have to use. You have to advise customers of their legal rights before they tick the button to begin the download. So, Ooh. yes. Now, now, buying a lot of apps on the App Store, mm -hmm. I mean, that never happens. But mm -hmm. is it possible that I've, when I've clicked agree to that fantastic long terms of conditions when I've signed up to the iTunes store, would it be enough that it's actually in there and then I buy afterwards? See, this part about canceling a digital transaction mm. to me is most similar to the cookie law. Mm. Okay. In, in that the means and the mechanism just doesn't match up with reality. Yeah. You know, it's asking for a consent process, an informed consent process, really, in front of a process that you do in half a second without thinking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I would encourage people to read through this bit because it is really quite tricky. And certainly one of the things that solicitors here in the UK have advised is that you can't do it through your terms and conditions. You can't change your terms and conditions to say that you're consenting to these cancellation policies. It's got to be on a per download basis. So I think mm. we're going to need as a community to work on this bit. Mm -hmm. Moving on, the piste de resistance of UX is no more extra cart items. Right. Woo. Oh, this is the, the pre-tick stuff that just yes. suddenly appears there. And if you're yes. not paying attention, you don't realize it's there. Yes, um, whether that's um, a coffee mug, as was used in the example, or everybody's favorite when they're buying plane tickets and there's um, they automatically put car rental at the airport into your cart. That's mm. all gone now. On travel insurance, of mm. course. Yes. Mm. Um, you cannot automatically add anything to a shopping cart that would cause more money to be exchanged. If it's something like signing up somebody for an e-newsletter, that's fine because that doesn't involve money. But any sort of pre-ticked item going into the cart has to come out. Mm. I'm aware that there are a couple of shopping cart software and plugins that have this enabled automatically. Um, you need to take it out. Kill your scripts on that because mm. you cannot mm. be automatically adding anything to someone's cart any longer. Um, the rest of the, the law is really about the specific language required for returns and cancellations. And it's a lot of very specific language you need to put on a page on your e-commerce website, you know, effects of returns, effects of cancellation. Okay. It basically sets out the relationship between the consumer and the retailer. It protects them both. And it says what you have to do if you change your mind or you want to return the goods. So mm. again, what we put your listeners to sleep with that, but just know that that's there. But that is and interesting then, because sorry. then that's, prob that's probably, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of it would be the same type of information on all different types of e-commerce sites. Mm -hmm. So it's really an educational issue about people being informed about what the rights are. Absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking that perhaps that would be something that would be more interesting to do on a broader scale to actually inform consumers uh, mm -hmm. in some way that this is what your rights are online. Be aware of them. Instead of having that information on every single website that you yeah. visit. Yeah, uh -huh. right. It does seem a bit uh -huh. overkill if it applies to everyone, yeah. you know, blanket there, then yeah, education around the issue is mm. probably more effective in the long run. Well, for the time being, I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Until we get a sort of case law of how mm -hmm. consumers actually respond to this law, it is you, you don't want to be the case law yourself, no. basically. Mm. Um. And the last bit 
is that um, everything you've gone over on the website in terms of your product information, your costs, your shipping information, that has to be repeated in the confirmation, which is the receipt. There's some flexibility here. If the person's just bought an eight pound, I don't know what, you don't have to have a confirmation receipt that's longer than a web design contract, but you still have to have that clear information on there. Um, there are a couple of exceptions to the rules. Certainly in the UK, there are certain sectors that are exempt, such as um, um, healthcare is exempt, social services, package travel is exempt. There are certain products which are exempt. Um, any sort of customized bespoke items, you know, food can't be returned under the directive. So there are a couple exceptions mm. here and there. Yeah, no, but, I, I don't want 14-day-old food back. Exactly, exactly. Um, but in general, it, it, it applies to pretty much everyone. And it is online and off. There's huge parts of the law. We've, we've only talked about the online bits. There's huge parts of the law that deal with what you have to do if you run a shop, a physical shop, because the law affects you as well. If you run a physical shop that has an online shop, you need to educate yourselves about both halves of the law. Yeah, okay. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Again, that's not our job, but know that it's there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to know so you can maybe oh, mm -hmm. highlight it or bring up the question. Mm -hmm. So now, are you the most informed person in the EU about this law now? I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and I we'll, hope we'll, not. We'll, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like, well, the person best equipped to explain it to people, maybe. I would certainly <laughs> hope not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ever since the cookie law, this just has just sort of fallen to me to explain these laws to the web design community, mm. what they are and um, what they do. And I've got a little list here of more web design and laws, web design and development laws coming up. So mm. I, I have fallen into this job by accident, but I have to say, I love it. Yeah. Nice. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's important to do. And we are, we are a maturing industry. I mean, even though it's, it's almost 20 years old now, it's still very, very young in so many ways mm -hmm. compared to many other industries. So, yeah, this is going to happen time and time again now um, over the coming years um, in different forms. And we've seen what happens when laws concerning the craft of web design and development are made without the involvement of the community. Mm. Yep. Which is the cookie law, mm. yeah. which was laughable. Um, you know, I, I frankly, I can remember having a little tantrum about cookies invading my privacy. That was in 1998, you know, <laughs> yep. things moved on, mm -hmm. but it took them 10 years to catch up with us, by which time we were all live tweeting our meals on Facebook. So, um, I think, I think my work is needed here. I think there's a space for it and I'm, I'm quite happy to continue in this role. And I hope you do continue it because you know it's 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 an important resource to to have that people mm -hmm. put the time and the effort into to translate, I guess, and and communicate mm -hmm. some of these yeah. laws and changes. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to have you back with all the new laws coming up then as well. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, book you in advance. So if people There's want if people want to get your book, where do you buy it? The address is consumerrightsdirective.info. Yep. And nice. it is written. It's written for a UK audience. Um, 
Yes, it's a European-wide law, but countries do have the right to put in little things here and there if they feel there's a need. So the book will walk you through it, but you still need to double check your own national law. I would hate to learn that someone in, I don't know, Portugal is using my book and mm. missed, missed a trick because they didn't look up their own law. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good. I'll also, I'll, of course, I'll link it up in the, um, the show notes. In the show notes. Yep. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much um, for joining us today. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I hope your your throat holds up um, and you don't become <laughs> <laughs> any more um, of a cold. Let's hear it for green tea. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, I think we, uh, you 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 go for whiskey, don't you, Per? I go for whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's everyone's got poison. their own. Yeah. <laughs> at this hour. Well, <laughs> not at this I mean, hour. For colds, for colds. It's not Just that big of a time difference between us right now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's lunch. So, yeah. Guys, on I've Friday. really enjoyed this morning. I've yeah. really enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you so much for having me on. Yeah, oh, thanks thank again, you. Heather. Yep. All right. Thank Talk you. Bye. 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 So, did you get all that, James? Yeah, I've been <laughs> frantically taking notes. My, my pencil is burning. <laughs> I'm just blown away by there being so much more also t- to be aware of designing websites, uh, taking into account all of these different. Well, the patterns that we're talking about, all the different rules, all the diff- much more information you need to be adding mm. if you're working with an e-commerce site. Yeah. On top of the technical. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is not – because we've got, we've got the, the pure UX yeah. side of things, which you know we know about behavior and testing. And, and how fast loading. and yeah. yeah, all this kind of stuff. And then mm. we've got the technical side mm. of how it's actually implemented mm. you know, in code or, or server-wise or all that mm. kind of thing or how you need it to be implemented for it to work with Google or mm. oh, so on. Um, and now on top of that, we've, we've of course, well, we always had these laws that you need to follow. Yeah. Um, but here we've had a lot of stuff thrown at us that's really, really directly relevant to, to not just roughly what we're doing, but specifically what we're doing. Yep. That, you know, even when you're doing A-B testing, you now can kind of like forget about a certain number of, of things to test on your payment button hmm. because now certain things that you maybe would have tested aren't legal. Exactly. Ah, so people actually do have to read this book and be aware of it. If you, I mean, if you're running an e-commerce site, you should, you, or or you, you do what she was talking about as well. You wait for people to actually get in touch with you and say mm. this doesn't seem right. But a lot of it seems like ethical things as well. Just adding stuff to people's shopping carts mm. off the bat like that. I, I don't like it. No, but. They're now going to be better at defending mm. or, or explaining the reasons why that's not a good idea. Because mm. you know now you've got not just your mm. your, your, your UX heart, your mm. you know your good patterns things to rely on. You can now actually cite laws. But here we're recapping a little bit again about the the country imp- um, implementations of this. Uh, Heather's written the, the book from the UK perspective. Mm. Um, what we need everyone else to do is take a serious look at this from your own country's perspective. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think you know those of you over there in in North America, US and Canada, and so on that are listening, or the rest of the world, then you know don't ignore this. This is really good to look at because you know we know how laws generally kind of a lot of these things spread around the world. Um, you know, the the EU is a is a big market, a big place, and if it's working there, then you know, other 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 countries and governments will will think, oh, that's worth implementing if they haven't already. Yeah. So you know, look at what's happening in your country. Um, or how this, if you're in the EU, EU how this has been implemented specifically mm. in your country. Yep. And let us know. 
Men that hade nog. And we will be visiting a conversion jam uh, in a month, I think. Yeah, and, uh, we'll probably be talking to some of the speakers there as well about this and see how how aware they are. Mm. I'm definitely be looking out for for um, information about it. Yeah. Okay then. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.